chapter 8. Romans in chapter 8. We're going to begin with this evening. And um, as you heard uh, coming in tonight, make sure we're mindful of being in prayer for Wendy's family. Lost there. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Um, so the Kelton of read Romans 12. We're going to eventually get there. We're just going to open up in chapter 8. But our text verse for tonight and um, next week is going to be Romans in chapter 12. One of which is my life verse. And uh, so I want to bring a thought to you this evening. Uh, the thought is going to be that on the word if. If. And uh, we know that if is a very small word, but it has a, uh, a great meaning. So if you're in Romans chapter 8 tonight, we're going to look in verse 1. We have quite a bit of reading to begin with this evening. And uh, I'm just going to let you know I'm going to take my time tonight. And when the, when the time is over with, we'll stop there and pick up next week. Uh, wherever you need to be so this is a two-parter or whether it's a three-parter uh makes me know never mind but we want to give the lord his uh, his freedom this evening and uh, step out of the way and um, too often many times guys we put god in a box and we don't come expecting the best blessing um, or we allow something very small or insignificant to keep us from being we don't prioritize our time to be where we belong I'm just being honest, and I believe uh, we all can agree on this. Um, we become our worst enemies when it comes to the faithfulness of Christ. And, beloved, you are never going to be fruitful until you're faithful. That will never happen. Amen? The Romans in chapter 8 this evening, Romans in chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in His own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So out of the 17 verses that we just read, the word if appears 14 times. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, the word if appears 1,670 times in your King James Bible. Using the word if declares something known as a conditional sentence or a conditional clause, if you will. And it can be used to describe something that's past or something that is present, both in actions or potential actions. If is one of the smallest words in the English language, yet it makes one of the most powerful statements possible. If places a soul within a crossroads of a decision, not whether to make a decision, but rather in what choice one will make. Within salvation, which is the greatest, most detrimental decision a a person can ever face, the word if is at the threshold of the door. Romans in chapter 10 tells us that uh, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's, it doesn't get any more simple than, than that verse right there. The conditional statement is clearly this. If you will agree that Jesus is God, if you will confess that, the word confess means agree with. You must do so with your mouth, one way or another, that the Lord Jesus, that means the Lord, self-existent, eternal one, same Lord of Psalm 23, same word that gives us a I am that I am in Exodus chapter 3, that Lord is Jesus, meaning he is God, and that he was raised from the grave, that God raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ said that no man taketh my life, but I lay it down, and if I lay it down, I will take it up again. Jesus Christ said before Abraham was, I am, he said. So Jesus Christ must be Lord, must be God, and he's the one that raised himself from the dead, or the Father raised him from the dead. God, the Holy Trinity, raised him from the dead. Amen. If you believe on that tonight, the Bible tells me that thou shalt be saved. Very simple. That's how powerful the word is. When the Ethiopian eunuch, one of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible, uh, asked what hindered him to be baptized. Uh, he said, see here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If thou believest. It is that simple. That's how powerful the word if is tonight. Beloved, if denotes a condition. It's a conditional tense, if you will, And they're used to speculate about uh, what could happen or what might have happened or uh, what we wish would happen. Uh, uh, In English language, most sentences using conditional clauses or conditional phrases, they they contain the word if. Many conditional forms in the English are are used used in sentences which include verbs and, and, and one of the past tenses, if you will. This usage is referred to the unreal past because we use past tense, but we are not actually referring to something which happened in the past. And there are five main ways of constructing conditional sentences in the English language. And in all cases, these sentences are made up of 
an if clause and a main clause. In many negative conditional sentences, there is an equivalent sentence constructing or construction using unless instead of if. They're categorized by types. There is a zero conditional phrase. It's used when the time being referred to uh, is now or always, and the situation is real impossible. If it, if it rains, the grass gets wet. Or here's another one. If you feel bad, you're sick. Okay, you know, that's an inside joke. But that's a zero conditional. There's, there is, it, it, that's a reality, okay? And then there's type one conditional phrases, which is used to refer to a present or future uh, tense where the situation is real. If you do not hurry, you will miss your train. This is where salvation comes into play. If, you, if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus uh, and believe in thy heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a type one conditional phrase. A type two conditional phrase is used to refer to a time that is now or any time in a situation, though, that is unreal. In other words, um, if you went to bed earlier, you would not be tired. We don't know that to be true. You could go to bed at 7 o'clock at night and sleep till 7 in the morning, still be tired when you get up in the morning, yeah? There's a type 3 conditional phrase, uh, which is used to refer to a time uh, that is in the past, a situation that is contrary to reality. And here's the example. If you, if you had studied harder, you would have passed the exam. And then there, finally, is a mixed type of conditional phrase, it is used to refer to a time that is in the past and a situation that is ongoing into the present. In other words, if we had looked at the map, we wouldn't be lost, which is current right now. So let me ask you this question tonight. Like I said, I was going to take my time with a sermon, whether it's three weeks or two weeks, makes, makes no never mind to me. How many times have we, in our life, in our days, how many times have you and I asked this question in our life, asked this question of ourselves, what if? What if? What if I'd have left five minutes early? Here's a good one, especially for tonight. What if I'd have went to church anyway? Amen? You see, the power of the word if is an amazing power. It, it, it makes the difference in one person's life, and it goes beyond our understanding many times. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. How often do you reflect back on your life with thoughts of, what if? I mean, there, there are so many questions that we can enter into the enter into the thought process just under this category. One slight change, an alter direction here, a change of path, uh, which which can, in fact, many times alter the, the everything in life, if you will. Have a completely different end. Or does it? much power do we have tonight? Hey, have you ever wondered or thought of, of how much control our ifs truly have on our lives? Many people in our world today believe that whatever is going to be is going to be, and that our ifs are no more than bumps in the road and blips here and there, but whatever is the final situation, that's going to happen nonetheless. And I understand that. I, for one, have spent a, a load of time thinking about ifs in the past. Concerning salvation, without a shadow of a doubt, guys, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God has raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I mean to say this to you tonight, 
He makes it very clear to everyone. It is a decision each individual must make, and it is not made for you, and it cannot be made by anyone else. It is the greatest if of our life, that one right there, that of salvation. If you do not believe, you will not go to heaven. If you do not believe, you will go to hell. That is a fact. What if? Anthony Fernando was a 21-year-old man living in um, Colombo, Sri Lanka. He went fishing one day off the coast of the island. and On this day, a fork-tailed garfish jumped out of the water and cut him on the neck with his tail. And before the fellow fisherman could get him to the hospital, he bled to death. There's enough listening thought for you. Lance Foster was a 23-year-old student at the University of Kansas. He was studying at his desk one night, became thirsty, decided to walk down the hallway to get something to drink. He put his money in the machine, but the drink didn't come out. And so he began to rock the vending machine back and forth, back and forth, back and forth uh, to get the can of soda. It fell on top of him, and he died from internal injuries shortly thereafter. Ali Oscar Ahani was a man from Iran. Instead of shooting the snake dead, he was trying to capture the line. When he pressed the butt of his shotgun behind the head of the snake, the snake coiled itself around the gun, and with his tail thrashing, the snake accidentally pulled the trigger, firing one of the barrels and shooting a honey in the head. How about this one? After winning $3.6 million in the lottery, William Curry must have thought he, he, he was the luckiest person on the earth, but he wasn't lucky for very long. Two weeks after hitting the jackpot, Curry at the age of 37 died of a heart attack. His sister-in-law said the stress of winning the lottery was what killed him. Now, saying all that, guys, to make this statement tonight, I believe we all could ask the question of what if in the events that I just read. What if he would have just killed the snake? What if he wouldn't have won the lottery? What if he would, would have got to, went to the tap for a drink of water? What if he didn't go fish, fishing? We can look at this in all kinds of different scenarios at how powerful the word if is, especially when it is followed by or preceded by what? What if? I've often, and I've spent, like I said, I've spent probably way too much time uh, reflecting on the ifs in my life, a little turn here, change there, turning right instead of left, mistakes that I've made, and uh, bad choice of friends, giving money to certain individuals. I mean, it's easy to question the past because it's all done and dusted, and you can look back there uh, because we see the outcome already. And even decisions, guys, such as slight pauses before moving forward, changing the expected time of arrival, uh, you know, or, or anything for that matter. A little bitty change here can have a massive change over there. But I want to address the elephant in the room. What is the elephant in the room on the topic of what if? What is the elephant in the room when we are talking about the idea of ifs and we're facing uh, if this and if that? The elephant in the room is how much control does our choices truly have on the will of God and His plan for His people? How much power do we really have in the realm of if? The Bible says in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end. I understand doctrinally this is a verse directed to Israel and Israel only. 
But practical and spiritually, we understand that we can have a bit of a spiritual application with Jeremiah 29, 11, and say, well, the Lord knows what the expected end is going to be. We hear it all the time that the Lord has a plan for us, and, uh, which is a good thing, I would say. And, and we're taught to pursue God's plan, to pursue God's will, and to embrace God's plan, and embrace God's will, and to live it, and to love it. We're taught those things. We're even told that it's the key to our future. But what is the will of God? E even though God's will sounds like something that we should and need to know, the whole idea of the will of God in a person's life often creates more questions than it does answers. Many people become simply frustrated about the will of God. And we often struggle with it, with where and even uh, when the will of God is in our life. And I'm convinced today that the reason uh, for this is that most people simply do not understand the will of God. They don't understand it at all. People don't understand the nature of the will of God, nor do they know how to find it. And guys, if you do not understand these two things, insecurity and misdirections will occur in your walk with God. No doubt that we want to honor the Savior. No doubt as a child of God, as a born-again believer tonight, we want to honor the Savior. We want to stay on track with what He envisions for our life. But that's not usually what drives people to seek God's will. More often than not, it's questions about the future, decisions which must be made and or challenges which arise with no foreseeable solution, driving us to our knees before the Father. Uncertainty is really and truly the most frightening thing in the Christian walk. As a matter of fact, uncertainty is the root of all let me ask you a question here tonight. How many of us, uh, uh, even as a child or even now, how many of us are have been at one time in our life afraid of the dark? Just raise your hand. Afraid of the dark. What did the dark ever do to you? Ever hit you? Has the dark ever tripped you up? Has it ever smothered you? punched you, picked on you, made fun of you, called you names. The dark has never done anything to anyone. Why are we afraid of the dark? It's not the dark we're afraid of. We're afraid of what may be in the dark. Uncertainty. Uncertainty is the root of all fear. So when it comes to the will of God, one thing we must remember, it is His plan and it is His diary. But you have a choice to make in your life. The Bible tells us in Proverbs in chapter 19, verse 21, it says there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that's the thing. So I want us to look at the will of God this evening. And I, again, I'll be mindful for the time tonight. I'm going to have you to turn uh, to our text verses, Romans chapter 12 this evening. Romans chapter 12. We read it during uh, the, uh, the uh, beginning of the service. Brother Kelton read it. So look at the will of God, and, and, and I want us to look in the world of ifs tonight. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 1 is very clear. 
It's self-explanatory, okay? Number one, who is Paul writing to? Paul is writing to saved, born-again individuals. What is he doing? He is pleading and he is begging. The word beseech means to plead. It means to beg. Brethren is speaking to saved, born-again individuals. By the mercies of God that ye present your body a living sacrifice. After you are saved and born again, the Lord is not looking for you to die for him. He's not looking for you to be killed for him. It may happen in some cases. It may happen in some worlds. But the first key is that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, which means set apart, acceptable unto God. And he says the, 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 the slightest, the, the, the least thing that you can do, your reasonable service, is to present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the least you can do. I can't remember if it was Saturday or if it was Sunday morning, Sunday night. But we talked about this very thing. On the days that you just don't, we talked about discipline. That's what it was. When you don't want to eat right, do it anyway. When you don't want to work out, you do it anyway. When you, we talked about finances. When you don't want to have a, when you don't want to save money and put money back, do it anyway. When you don't want to not, you know, when you don't, when you don't want to be late on your bills, pay your bills anyway. When you don't feel like going to church, you go anyway. Amen? You mark it down in your book tonight. You start letting every little thing keep you out of the house of God. Every little thing is going to show up on your doorstep when it's time to go to the house of God. I have said that and preached that for nearly 30 years now, and I've never been wrong, and the men that preached it to me was never wrong. That's presenting your body a living sacrifice. That's faithfulness that will equate to fruitfulness. And without that, you're never going to be fruitful. Amen? Verse 2. He says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, here's the thing, guys. I, I got a message that I'm, I'm preparing to preach uh, sometime next month, and it's going to be out of this verse 2, uh, just as a, a slight prelude to it, if you will. Uh, be not conformed to this world. That word conform, uh, it means the same word as being pressed, okay? Like pressing something, all right? And so don't be pressed and conformed and shaped to this word. That word right there, world, okay, comes from the Greek word cosmos. It's the same word that we get cosmopolitan and cosmetics and, and things like that. It's, it's not speaking of uh, the world as the earth and the green grass and the trees and the birds and bees and sycamore trees. It's not talking about that. It's talking about a system that is enmity with God, a system that wants to pull you away from God, a system that we see here now in verse 2 that is going to keep you from the will of God. Everybody wants to know what the will of God is in their life. It's right here in verse 2. And it's going to start with by not being shaped or conformed or pressed by or into this world. We are need to be in the world, not of the world. Amen? And I'm going to save the rest of that uh, for the sermon that will be going on in mid-August sometime. But we have a promise from the Word of God. This is a, a if we are not conformed, if we are transformed by the ruin of our mind, we can then and only then prove what is the will of God. That's the only way you can do it. You're not going to be conformed to the world that you live in today and then find out what the will of God is. not going to happen. Unless you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
by the preaching of the Word of God, the praying to God, to the reading of the Word of God. That's the only way the mind's going to be renewed. And that's the only way you're going to find that big fat if of the will of God in your life to prove what it is. So according to this verse in Romans, the will of God is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. Three wills of God. Okay? There's absolutely, listen very carefully here, please. I want you to hear me out on this one, all right? I'm going to bang this drum for a little while, and I may not I may not even get into hardly any points tonight, okay? But I'm going to bang the drum, all right? I don't even like drums, but I'm going to bang it. According to this verse of what the Scripture says here in verse 2, the will of God is good, the will of God is acceptable, and the will of God is perfect. Yeah? There is absolutely no indication here the Lord's plan for you in this life is to be unbearable. I see nothing here depicting God's will in your life to be unbearable. Okay? Something that you, I don't I see I, I don't see any indication here. In chapter 2, chapter 12, verse 2, that that reveals unto us that God's plan for your life is something that you hate or something that will ruin your life. I've given my children, all four of my children, advice throughout their life and guidance and direction, and I've made it very crystal clear to them, I am not giving you advice that is going to benefit me. It's not about me. I'm, giving you, I'm not giving you advice that's selfish to me. I'm not giving you advice or guidance that's trying to keep you in a certain place for my benefit. That is selfish and that is wrong. But I'm giving you advice that I believe in God's hand is best for you now and will be best for you later. And if you take heed to it, it's going to be a blessing in your life. If you don't take heed to it, it's going to be a blasting. God is not in the business of bringing His will in your life to make you miserable. Tell me where that's come from. I understand Job was tried. I get that. I understand that the devil went before the Lord and says, Take this away from him. He'll curse you to thy face. Touch his body. He'll curse you to thy face. And all of those things, Job said not. What was the end of Job? We always want to forget about the last part of chapter 42, now don't we? And typology speaking, it's a picture of the Great Tribulation dealing with the nation of Israel. There's a nugget for you. But what was the end of it? He got twofold of what he lost back. That's a blessing there. This ain't prosperity doctrine. It's not a prosperity gospel. I, I, you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it speaks about vanity this and vanity that and vanity this, and, and Solomon is going on and on and on and on and on. You know, he's writing that thing many a times in misery because of the choices he made in his life, amen. All is vanity, he said. I get it. But you don't see the indication of the will of God in your life to be something that's coming into your life to make you hate life. It's quite on the contrary. What the Father envisions for you is good and acceptable and perfect. You may not be living high on the hog. You, you may not be driving, you know, a, a Ferrari and living in a mansion. That's not what God, that's, that's not all about that. 
but it's about the will of God in your life at this present state, at this present moment, in this world, right here, right now, to be good, acceptable, and perfect. And if you're in the if you're in the good, acceptable, and perfect, if you're proving what is good and acceptable, perfect will of God, guess what? You're not going to be miserable. It's not going to be unbearable. It's not ruining your life. And you're not going to hate everything around the corner. So before we go any further, guys, when you, when you find yourself complaining about life, be it where you are or what you do, you need to stop and you need to think. Are you in the will of God? We were around a couple yesterday. One dude from Italy and another dude from here. And man, they were just complaining and complaining. I mean, there was nothing of this location that they liked. I pay this monthly fee and body, body, body. They were just ripping it to pieces. And I just sat there silent. I wasn't about to get into this conversation. Do you know my answer was? Leave. If you're complaining this much and you're paying this much, just go. It's that simple, man. I mean, my quit paying the money, quit coming to the place to complain about. It's not a no-brainer. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. Just leave. So, guys, when you find that you are complaining about the life that you're in, stop and wonder and ask yourself, are you in the will of God? Beloved, looking throughout Scripture, Christians are appointed to afflictions and trials, but they're not appointed to being miserable. They're not appointed to being unhappy. They're not appointed to, to murmur. I, I thought I'd put these verses up there, apparently not, but uh, Philippians 2, 12-14 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, uh, not as in my presence only, but, but now much more in my absence, uh, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Do all things <laughs> without murmuring and disputing. All things. So, beloved, these three words in Romans 12 says, these three words, good and acceptable and perfect, should fill all of us up with what? Peace and confidence. So again, I would go back to this statement, the will of God in your life, and look at how powerful the word, if, truly is. You see, I want you to look back there in Romans chapter 12 with me. Romans chapter 12. And I, yeah, I did put those verses on there. I want us to look at the first will of God, which is good. The Lord's plan is morally honorable. The Lord's plan is excellent, and the Lord's plan is beneficial to you. Does anybody believe that in here tonight? I hope so. It may not always appear to be so at first, but we must remember that God's promises to work all things together for good. But not all things are good, okay? But they work together for good. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, one of the most mysterious, understood and, and probably misquoted verses in all the Bible uh, it says and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the call according to his purpose it doesn't say everything's going to be good that works in your life it just says it works together for good the father is very careful about what he permits to touch our lives why simply because he himself 
is good. The Bible tells us the Lord is good in, to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. God good? Yes, He's good. And there's a, there's a, there's a will that is good in the Christian's life. There, there's a will that is acceptable in the Christian's life, a will that is acceptable. It's both well-pleasing to God, but also satisfying to us. The Lord receives you on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. And, and once you have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are accepted before the Father forever. And because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in you and the Word of God as your guide, you can now live in a manner that is well-pleasing to the Lord. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 tells us, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. Do you see that? It's God that will work inside of you when you're saved. Both to will and to do His good pleasure. So His will is acceptable because of the word Christ, or the work that Christ did on the cross. And He is working to bring this will prevalent in our life. A good will and an acceptable will. Watch this last one here, and we'll be finished here in a moment. There's a perfect will. Now, when we read the word perfect, guys, we, we uh, oftentimes we have thoughts of maintaining a flawless walk with the Lord, and that's not what this means. That's not what it's intended for here. The word perfect comes from the Greek word uh, teleos, which means brought to its end, finished, lacking nothing, and uh, necessary to completeness. In other words, it means mature, okay? Friend, the Father has no half-baked schemes for our life. He doesn't do things halfway or half-step or half. He doesn't. That's not how He operates. So when it comes to mind in your life, guys, He knows His full plan. He knows His will. Okay, but we may not know the full plan, but we can know the will. There's three of them, good, acceptable, and perfect will. And this is something that you can rest on tonight. We think, well, I'm in the perfect will of God. That's got nothing to do with being flawless, sinless, uh, idealist. That has nothing. It has to do with complete fullness and maturity. Isaiah 46.10 tells us this in closing tonight. Declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all mine pleasure. My friend, the Word of God promises us the Lord's will is good, the Lord's will is acceptable, and the Lord's will is perfect. So let me ask you this question here tonight and we'll be finished. Who in the world would not want to serve a God so loving, so full of love and care in this world today? Who would not want to serve Him to the fullest, to put ourselves to the side, to understand that His will in our life is the best place, the safest place, the most secure place, the most loved place that we can ever be in this side of the world. Guys, there's coming a day for every saved individual when the Lord Jesus Christ will step off the throne of glory and He'll say, come up to them. If you are a child of God, if you were saved and born again, when he says, come up hither, in a twinkling of an eye, from point zero one to the negative 45th of a power, that's how much, that's how much time it's going to take. You are snatched up out of here, and we're gone. 
For those who have heard the gospel and have not made that decision, when the Lord says come up hither, they will have no opportunity after that to do so. They have lost their chance. So I'm saying all that to say this tonight, to make this point clear. There is a will that God has. His idyllic will, his will is that none should perish. Peter says that. He's not willing that any should perish. That's why we understand that it's a choice. But when you cross that threshold and you come across that, that, those crossroads and you make that decision for the Lord Jesus Christ in your life to accept that blood-bought gift on the cross of Calvary, from that point forward, you understand that there's a God that loves you so much that He gave His only begotten Son that you may be reconciled unto the Father. And from that point forward, who does not want to have the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God in your life. Because of what He has done for us and what He does to us and what He will do for us all, that should drive us to want to serve Him every single day. To be not carnally minded and to understand that the ifs in our life, especially the big if of accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, the ifs in our life are significant. But the will of God is more prevalent the love of God. His will in your life, guys, will never make you miserable. It is not unbearable. But it is His plan in your life for a good outcome in the future, acceptable for, before the throne of God and perfect in His day. Will you bow your heads? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for who and what you are and all that you've done. We ask this evening. Please take your message, write it upon the hearts of everyone present tonight, and help us continue to evaluate the power of this word if in our life. Help us understand that there are decisions and choices that we're going to make tonight that will, will have a bearing upon our life 10 years, 20 years down the road, bearing upon our children's life, our grandchildren. And I simply ask you tonight to help us as a body of believers to pursue the will of God, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God in our life. To serve you, Lord, with gladness, to be faithful in every step of the way, that we may be fruitful in our walk before you. In Jesus Christ's name we ask these things. Amen.